I trained as an actor. Um, that's my background. And uh, what happens when you train as an actor, when you leave drama school, uh, you get put on something called the Spotlight, which is a kind of an online directory for performers, for casting directors and producers to kind of see you, to cast you for something. And on there, you've got your picture of yourself, you've got a credit list of what you may have done, but there's also a little section um, for sort of specialist skills that you might have. And it's not uncommon for actors to lie uh, on, in this section. Uh, for example, I, you, know, uh, you might put down that you're a black belt at karate, that you are skilled in weapons handling, that you're a scuba diver instructor, you're a marcher archer, you can drive heavy goods vehicles, and you're 22 years old. Now, there's a lot of talented people out there, but it does happen, and um, you want to kind of ask yourself why. And quite obviously, it's really because you do it because you want to try and get the job, ultimately, that might be required a specific skill. Um, but you also might do it because it looks just very impressive. You know, it visually looks appealing, it looks attractive, uh, it gives a, a certain prestige, I guess. And um, you're ultimately, the, the idea is that you're looking for your own self-glory. You want someone to attribute something to you, uh, to esteem you. And um, in this passage, something similar is going on here. Uh, in previous uh, chapters, Jesus has accused the Jewish leaders of seeking glory for themselves and from each other uh, when they're supposed to be pointing people to God. And at this point in John's Gospel, uh, we find Jesus who has just left Galilee where he had done two very amazing and very famous miracles. One, he fed 5,000 people with food that would probably only cater for a couple. uh, And he walked on water. He's now back in Judea, in Jerusalem, teaching at the Festival of Tabernacles. Time has passed, a few weeks maybe, since Jesus was last in Jerusalem. And whilst he was there that last time, he evoked the Jewish leaders to want to try and kill him. To try and kill him because he had healed a man on the Sabbath by a pool called Bethesda, as well as equating himself equal to God. That's what happened last time he was there. So now at the festival, the scene starts with the Jewish leaders who want to try and kill him. Uh, they're sniper-eyed, watching, waiting for Jesus to appear. And Jesus is incognito amongst the crowds, waiting till halfway through the festival to make his appearance in the temple courts. That's our scene, our setting. And now the series that we're doing here at the moment is called Come and See. And the aim is, is, to, is, is to, be, to bring in the short time... Um, for us to see something of who Jesus is. And it's a passage where we see a contrast between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. We're shown in verse 14 to 24 a sharp contrast between how Jesus and the Jewish leaders address both their own teaching and the law. Where the leader's teaching comes from and its purpose and its use and where Jesus' teaching comes from and how he uses it. So do you have, have a look at the text again. Uh, look at verse 15, that would really help me. So the crowd are amazed at his teaching. And they, and they want to know where on earth it's come from. The assumption is that what is being taught in front of all these people, for them to stand and listen and give their time to, must be truth. And so the question we can ask is, where do they think truth comes from? Jesus, where are you getting what you're saying to me? 
If I'm, if I'm to stand here and listen to this, on what learning, on what grounds, on what authority, am I to take in what you have to say to me? Because I know you haven't been schooled. You see, the truth uh, which they know, the people listening to him, that is taught to them is what was given by Moses, which is the law, which was given to Moses by God. Which meant that if you had the truth, you'd be someone who had studied, who was fully and legitimately schooled, as well as a public authority. Those who would be considered what John describes as one of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus wasn't any of this. The problem was, is that over years of tradition and add-ons, the teaching had subtly become about the knowledge that one had. Men of authority sitting together discussing around what had been given by Moses, the law, and degree by degree, the law had lost its original intention. The God meaning intention of the law had slowly got turned into a collection of surface written protocols or things to do that needed to be kept and only fully understood by a bunch of scholars. It had been muddied, confused and misapplied in a majorly bent direction. Why? So I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we get evidence of this in John chapter 5, verse 42 to 47. You don't have to turn to it, but I'll read it here. He says, Jesus says to them, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus accuses them of no longer seeking God's glory, but seeking glory from one another. He alludes to this here in the passage in verse 17. Have a look. And then he elaborates on it in verse 18, exposing the reason why their teaching and understanding of the law is skewed. And it's because of their pride, self-exaltation, and self-glory. Well, Jesus then in verses 21 to 24 tells them the result of their practice and what their muddied understanding had done. They had twisted and manipulated the law to the extent that a symbolic act must be kept at all lengths as not to break the law, but any acts of mercy and restoration would be condemned. You see, the Sabbath was to be kept as a holy day that reflects the the day that God rested from work. And so his people are to do the same thing as well. This pointing ultimately to the new creation, a day where all things will be restored, healed, and made new. Well, this attitude that the leaders had in condemning that act that Jesus did by the pool of Bethesda exposes to us that they neither seek nor care for the heart of God. No real desire to choose the will of God in verse 17, leading them to not recognizing the authority that Jesus is teaching is God's teaching. Making their judgment based on purely the externals and not the reason behind it, verse 24. So not understanding or just being blind to the true righteous standard of God that these laws originally reflected in the first place. They're not really keeping the law of Moses given to them by God's standards. And Jesus accuses them of that in verse 19. So, 
Where does the leader's teaching come from? Well, it comes from themselves, based on what was given to them by Moses, and for the appearance of godliness for the ultimate purpose of self-glory, resulting in the law being skewed to the extent of something that is oppressing, crippling, and preventing healing rather than life-giving. In contrast, Jesus' teaching comes directly from God, verse 16, for the purpose of God's glory. Jesus uses the law to reflect its truest intentions. In the case of the healing of the Sabbath, it's the showing of mercy and restoration of an individual. It seems that in verse 15, the people here in this passage are judging the words and authenticity of his teaching And then yet Jesus turns it on its head and challenges the authenticity of their faith in verse 17 and judges their understanding of the law from verse 19 to 24. He says in verse 24, stop judging by mere appearance, but instead judge correctly. Well, the response to this is division. And in the following verses, the people are divided about who he is and his authority. So what do we see about Jesus in this passage? Well, in verse 18, he illustrates to us that he is a man of truth. He is transparent to the message that he is giving. It's God's word coming straight through him. There is nothing false or hidden or shaded that is being presented. It's not an appearance of something nice. They are seeing and hearing the reality of God's word standing there among them. It's interesting, and I I couldn't help notice the irony that God's word in flesh form is among the people being spoken out in front of them during the festival of tabernacles. And a festival, uh, this festival, is a festival that reminds the people when God dwelt among them during the time in their history when they were in the desert. And yet they question him and can't accept him, illustrating the author's point in chapter 1 of this book. John, the author of this gospel, says in verse 10 to 11 of chapter 1 that the word was God. It became flesh and entered into the world, but that the world did not recognize and receive him, though he was dwelling among them. Jesus is a man of truth because his words are God's words. Well, we didn't have it read out loud um, earlier because it would have been far too long. The whole passage would have been far too long. But just before Jesus goes up to the festival, he's with his brothers. And they say to him in verse 3 of chapter 7, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, they say to him, you're doing all these great things. Why the secrecy? For people to know who you are, you need to go public. Go to the festival, show yourself to the world. To them, the brothers, just like everyone else, and to the advantage of the Jewish leaders, the public appearance and presentation was what was looked for. And Jesus' response to his brothers, and a continuing response in John's gospel, is, my time is not yet here, which he repeats many times. Because in this timeline, in this timeline, there is a point when Jesus does go public, when he is fully exposed and shows everyone and all of us the glory of God. And it's on the cross. Jesus, time and time again in these chapters, is seeking God's glory and doing his will. He makes that clear and public to everyone he meets. 
to which the Jewish leader's response is a desire for his death, verse 19. A desire which is ultimately fulfilled. The glory of God that we see in the gospel is when we are shown Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. I mentioned earlier of what a potential acting profile on Spotlight could look like. And though I would love to have had that audition as a musketeer, putting down that I could ride a horse on my Spotlight profile probably would not have done me any favours. Certainly if they tested me on it first. And the last time I was on a horse was I was seven and it freaked me out. So it wouldn't have worked. Now, of course, that's a bit of a crass example of the spotlight one. But when I am building my own self-image to look a certain way, it's a lot more subtle and looks genuinely more attractive, making it far easier to deceive. Well, we're called to seek God's glory God chooses to stoop down to this earth. He, he lowers himself for us. He, he limits himself for us. He, he relates to us. He wants to know us personally. And despite our numberless sins that cannot be counted, he breaks himself when he dies for us. And by doing this, he reveals himself to us, his character, his love, and his rich mercy that covers the infinite amount of darkness that we don't even know is there. Looking at that glory for far outweighs anything uh, my spotlight profile, myself, or any of us could ever pull off. We cannot, on our own, become someone of truth like Jesus. Yet because of the cross, if we genuinely choose and desire to do the will of God in verse 17. By repentance and forgiveness, we are made transparent and new. Nothing false remains because God sees Christ's righteousness when he sees us. We're called to seek God's glory, not our own, to focus away from building our own self-image and any desire to exalt ourselves. And I I think the only remedy for that is to look back to the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit cultivate the same mindset of Christ. Serving one another out of love for one another and honest obedience to the words we hear him speak from scripture. All with the intention that it points back to Jesus Christ and who he is. When you see Jesus from this passage, and if you've been coming for a few weeks now, um, how do you see him? Do you see him as someone of truth? Or is is he a lie? That's where I'm going to leave it there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this time together. Thank you for choosing to come down to us, to reveal yourself to us. We do ask that you open our ears, our eyes, uh, to hear you speak and to see your glory. Because of your mercy, uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.